This is the Widescreen Podcast, show number 293, your monthly, unfortunately now monthly because my life is so stupid busy, your now monthly cure for insomnia. I honestly should start sending people medical bills because this show is so good at boring people so that they actually fall asleep that it's probably worthy enough of having some kind of late-night infomercial. Uh, of course, then people would fall asleep during the infomercial, so then by the time we got to the information on how to listen to the podcast, they'd be asleep anyway. Okay, so that's that's kind of self-defeating. But this is show number 293. Regrettably, like I said, it, it's now... A, I've kind of just relinquished the fact that it it's down to a monthly show. I hate that. I'd like to go back to every two weeks or so, whatever you know, whatever it used to be. I, I just don't have time. I don't freaking have time. You know, even though this podcast is only about an hour after it's all done and finished, uh, it takes me several several hours of going through the show notes and you know getting things done, and of course doing the recording and screwing up. So I pause it, delete the section that I screwed up, and going back. And it, it unfortunately, it takes probably. I will guess six to seven hours for me to do what ends up being an hour-long podcast. And it's a pain in the ass. You would think after 15 years, I'd be pretty good at just hitting the recording button and just going with maybe a pause here and there. But I'm just not that good. But the real irony is that when I'm streaming on Twitch, I can keep going and I can keep going and I can keep going. I've already done a 12-hour stream, which is ridiculous, but I've already done it. And, you know, on something like that, you hit start recording or, you know, start broadcasting and you go. <laughs> you just keep on going. Granted, it's not it, it's not an apples to oranges thing. At that point, I've got a very small but loyal group of, of people who come into the chat and they help to keep me going. But here I'm talking to a wall. I'm talking to a, a set of very small little mini computers that I use for my podcasting, my Raiders of the Lost Ark poster, my couple of Star Wars uh, poster cards, and, you know, some other things. That's what I'm talking to. I'm talking to a microphone. I don't even know who's listening. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I have not looked up the statistics for this podcast in years. I have no clue what my monthly download allocation is. Not allocation. Uh, I have no idea how many times this gets downloaded. I know I have my small group of, of core listeners to this podcast as well. But I have no idea how many that is. I've said multiple times, I do this because I want to, more than anything else. Yeah, I, I do feel kind of an obligation to it. But at the same time, if I didn't want to do it, if I didn't enjoy doing this, I wouldn't do it in the first place. But I have no idea how many people listen. I know that there are a small core of, not not kidding, maybe five people. Because they're the ones who regularly will send me email uh, or or, you know, they're Twitch streamers, so they'll say, hey, John, you know, I downloaded the, the latest podcast, and that's about it. I had some big surge for one particular episode a couple of months ago, sometime last year. I have no idea what it was from, but I hit this massive surge where my ISP said, yeah, uh, you might be hitting your monthly bandwidth allocation on this one. I was like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? And sure enough, I checked, and there was something about that one podcast that had over a thousand downloads. It's like, what? What? I must have, I don't know if I must have pissed someone off or whatever. Never got email on it. I mean, I would assume that if it was one of those things where I said something stupid and it went, you know, pseudo-viral, that that I would have gotten some haters. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But there's a possibility that I will have some new listeners now. I 
you knew in the last show that I mentioned I had become a creator for the video game Warframe. Uh, I've been officially recognized by the developers as a Warframe creator, which is kind of the, the best honor you can get you know, as a streamer or, or YouTube personality or whatever. And about a week and a half after I got that, the uh, community team contacted me and said, hey, would uh, you be up for us giving you a raid on Thursday? Now, by that, I mean a Twitch raid, which is your stream is over, so you're taking all of the people who are currently watching your stream and you send them off to another streamer. Well, Warframe has one every Thursday night. I mean, that's their main stream, minus their, their actual uh, developer streams. But that's their main stream, and it gets thousands and thousands of people to watch it. And then what they'll do is at the end of their stream, they'll push everybody off to one of their uh, Warframe creators. And less than two weeks after I got my creator status, they're asking me if I wanted to get raided. I was like, uh, uh what? Yeah, sure. Uh, unfortunately, I had to push it off two weeks because job number two decided to schedule me for that Thursday and the Thursday after. But uh, yeah, on the 26th, I got a big honking raid. Several thousand people came into my Twitch stream. Now, granted, that doesn't mean anything. Within the first half hour... 90% of them have already logged off. That's just it's the nature of the beast. Most of those people hit the Warframe streams because you actually can get in-game items from watching the stream. And once that's pushed off to someone else, you no longer get those drops. Now, that's fine. I've, I've done that too. But, I mean, this is me. This is me. I couldn't simply let people come into the rain and say, Hey, welcome for the raid. No, da, 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 da. I had to be me. <laughs> I had to be stupid because that that's what I do. So I... I decided to have a little bit of fun once the raid came in. Uh-oh. We have an incoming. We have... Uh... Honey? Yeah, a lot of people just showed up. Yeah, yeah, you might want to go out and get more pizza rolls. I think we're gonna need them. Yeah, uh... Yeah, a lot of people just showed up. We're gonna need a lot more pizza rolls. And... Uh, a Meg is part of this too, so you might want to grab some corn while you're at it. I think that'd, that'd probably... Yeah. I don't know! Rent a U-Haul or something! Just go to Costco and buy everything that they've got, you know? That... Fine! D look, just get the kids to help you. They're indentured servitude until they move out of the house anyway. Hi! I mean, this is me. <laughs> I, I can't... Just, you know, I have to do something stupid like that. that. That's just me. Although it was funny, I went back and watched chat later because obviously when all that stuff is coming in and people are, are um, not subscribing, following and doing all that stuff, I can't watch the chat because the chat is just going crazy. And one person did come out and say that alone was worth a follow. So <laughs> it was all fun and good. It was all good. It was a good time. It probably won't happen again for several more months because they got a lot of creators that they have to go through to do that you know everybody needs a little bit of time which is fair which is fair chances are if i do end up doing that again probably not till next year and that's okay but it was a good time and by the time let's see what time did i finally end it i think i ended it at three in the morning eastern and when i sent that raid off to another friend of mine there was still some i think there were a little over 300 people who went off to the raid. So about 300 people stuck around. But it was fun. It was a good time. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. 
Otherwise, not a whole hell of a lot going on. Is summer is almost here, and it's getting hot already. It's still not summer. It's still spring, and it's getting hot here. We had a 97-degree weekend a couple of weekends ago. It's like, okay, that, that's a good time to go to the movies, man. We'll go to the AC that way, which I have not done yet. I want to see Top Gun. I, I've heard it is very formulaic, and you can pretty much know exactly what's going to go on, but I've heard it's still a really good movie. But you know me, I haven't had a chance to really watch anything. I did, however, I did actually watch the George Carlin uh, documentary on HBO Max. Anybody who's listened to this show for a long time knows that, well, they they won't be surprised by that. But uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's like four hours over two episodes. A lot of stuff in there that I didn't know, but most of the stuff I did know because I've been a fan of George Carlin for a long time. I've already seen a lot of documentaries about him. But they had other things that I wish that they would kind of fix up previous concerts because apparently HBO for all of the specials that he did they apparently still have all of the footage from all of the cameras from all of those shows that the people who were doing the documentary had access to so they were able to show alternate angles and they were able to show things that were not in the original airings and it's like if you go back to some of his earlier shows there's a lot of stuff where you can see they made really bad cuts and bad edits for time purposes. And damn it, now I want to see the whole thing. You know, I want to see the whole production like it should have been, like it was recorded. But I enjoyed that. And, and even if you're not necessarily a George Carlin fan, I mean, he, he's when you look in law history for the U.S. regarding media and what can be aired and so forth, he has to be mentioned because of his, his seven dirty word sketches. You know, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And that's what said, that was, you know, it was George Carlin's case that made the uh, Supreme Court determine that the FCC has the right to determine uh, what can and cannot be said over public airwaves. So I did watch that uh, several times, actually, because I enjoyed it that much. But yeah, movie-wise, that I haven't had a chance. To. I did start to watch a little bit of The Batman, but between, you know, the two jobs and so forth, I... I, you know, free time. What is it? I have no idea. Anyway, I complain about that pretty much every episode. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, Streaming-wise, not a whole hell of a lot going on. I didn't see anything major regarding any kind of streaming service uh, or streaming service shutting down or anything like that or, or uh, new release dates for when a streaming service is going to be available. This past month has kind of been steady as she goes when it comes to streaming. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, although it you know doesn't provide me with any content. But there were two things that did surprise me. Uh, well, one of which actually was not a surprise when it finally happened. Uh, but you know me. I'm a huge 3D fan. Have been for, well, since I was a kid. And there are still 3D Blu-ray movies being released. In fact, in this case, one of the very first 3D movies uh, is coming out. It's been restored. Uh, completely remastered in a new 2K restoration uh, by the 3D Film Archive. We've talked about them in previous podcasts. So, Bawana Devil, starring Robert Stack, Barbara Britton, and Nigel Bruce, that has been restored by the 3D Film Archive, and that is going to be released on 3D Blu-ray with a uh, an anaglyph, which is the red-blue. Uh, it's going to have an anaglyph red-blue 3D and a regular 2D version. That's going to be published by Kino Lerber sometime later this year. Uh, no information on it. But yeah, I'm even though I'm not necessarily interested in the movie itself, I mean, it, it's 3D, and you know I've got to support that. Oh, by the way, those of you who are new to the podcast, I forgot to, to do that whole introduction. I'm assuming from the raid 
that I have new listeners. Uh, if Assuming you're still awake, that is, mind you. The whole thing with my show is it's by the average Joe for the average Joe. This, I, I talk about things that you might talk about with your coworkers around the, uh, the, the water cooler at work. You know, I'm not a Hollywood insider. I, I don't, I probably could give interviews if I want to, but I do my show really late at night. Probably not the best time to do it, but, you know, again, free time, what is it? So if you're looking for some kind of deep Hollywood secrets or something like that, this is not the podcast for you. I'm just here to talk about stuff uh, that, that is of interest to me, hopefully interest to my listeners, uh, just as though we're having a basic, simple conversation. So if even if you're into 3D and you don't have a 3D player, at least that uh, Buona Devil will also be including the red-blue version for people. And when uh, this was kind of surprising, Spider-Man No Way Home is coming out on 3D Blu-ray. There is a catch. It's going to be released in Australia, which that in itself is no big deal. So what? Buy the Blu-ray. In fact, it's very advantageous for me as an American to be buying this because right now, one American dollar buys 1.4 Australian dollars. So even with shipping, I was able to get this at a relatively low cost. You know, maybe less than 30 bucks. Well, maybe around 30 with shipping. But yeah, so Spider-Man No Way Home is coming out on 3D Blu-ray. And of course, I jumped on that one. Uh, then I got the email. <laughs> <laughs> Sony, Sony, what the hell is your problem? What are you doing? Uh, sadly, we have been informed that we received incorrect information from Sony Universal, sorry, Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment regarding the region coding of the release, and unfortunately, the 3D disc will in fact be region B locked. We understand that some of you may not have region-free machines and therefore not be able to play the disc. So uh, we would... We welcome anyone who would like to cancel their pre-order to email us and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Up yours, Sony. I've got the stuff necessary to break that. And I have no shame in that, exactly because of BS reasons like this. There are no plans for them to release, at least none that I've read, no plans to release this in Region A, which is here. So they've decided to lock the disc to Region B, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. They just immediately reduced the amount of people who can buy the damn thing. Now, if they were going to be releasing a Region A version, that's different. It's still stupid, but at least that would make sense. But this is an absolutely idiotic decision on Universal Sony. It serves no purpose whatsoever. And unfortunately, it leaves people like me to result to, to, result, to resort to alternate means to gain access to the content. I mean, I've got Pixar's Ratatouille in 3D, which was only a Region B release. Yeah, well, it's on my Plex server. So, up yours on that one, Universal Sony. I mean, it's possible, possible, that the 3D version will be region-free, uh, but the regular version will be region-locked. I mean, that's possible. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's possible. But either way, uh, I'm going to be purchasing that, and it will be broken and put onto my Plex server. And then the disc will be stashed away in my, oh god, my my large uh, shelf of 3D Blu-rays. But yeah, I, I shouldn't have to go through the extra steps needed to do that. Remove the damn region lock. Alright, let's head to the box office and talk movies. We have a new champion in town. Top Gun Maverick has absolutely crushed the box office this past weekend. Its Memorial Day weekend total has come in domestically at $156 million. That means it scored the largest Memorial Day opening ever. 
Now, the previous record holder was Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, and that had a uh, total of $153 million. And keep in mind, that came out in 2007. So now we're talking about it beating the record during a pandemic when people are still wondering if theaters, you know, how how long it's going to take for them to come back. And it still broke records. And internationally, it did almost as well. And right now, as I'm looking at the total, it stands at $321 million. It's not even been out for a week. So there's a new Memorial Day box office record. What's also been doing ridiculously well is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Right now, the numbers are coming in at $376 million domestically, $500 million internationally for almost $880 million at the box office. And yes, this is at one of those points where I will say, uh, so about those people who said going to the theater is dead because of COVID and everybody's going to want the convenience of watching movies at home? Hmm? Hmm? How would you like your crow? And interestingly, at the Cannes Film Festival, Tom Cruise was saying, seeing as how he's one of the producers, uh, he said that he refused to allow Top Gun Maverick to debut on streaming. He completely said, nope, not happening. It's going to be a theatrical release. And when asked about it possibly debuting online, he said, they wouldn't dare. That's not going to happen, ever. That was never going to happen, never, not going to happen. And then he said, look at us all together, gesturing to the audience, of course. Uh, We're all united. We're all speaking different languages, different cultures, different ideas about art or cinema or storytelling, but we are united in being able to come together as a community and share in a shared experience. There's a very specific way to make a film for cinema, and I make movies for the big screen. I know where to go after that, and that's fine. Cinema is my love. It's my passion. I always go to movies when they come out. I put my cap on and sit in the audience with everyone. I come in. I want to see the trailers. Well, I mean, I don't mind seeing the trailers. It's when you see 20 minutes of trailers. Uh, and then, of course, the concession advertisements. Uh, yeah, that's, that's when it gets annoying. But yeah, so if you were hoping for Top Gun Maverick to come out on streaming, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Probably, I would assume they're going to do a 45-day window on waiting. Or, you know, you're just going to have to go to a theater and buy popcorn and support your local neighbors who are working there. So anyway, these numbers are going to be different by the time you hear this podcast because I'm an idiot who waits too long to get the show done. And it's just it's going to be another week by the time you hear this. That's okay. But as it stands right here, right now, Top Gun Maverick, no big surprise, number one, Doctor Strange, number two, the Bob's Burgers movie is number three, Downton Abbey, New Era, number four, the bad guys, number five, and the top ten is rounded off with everything, everywhere, all at once, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, The Lost City, the horror film Men, and F3, Fun and Frustration. And if you've never heard of that movie, I'm not surprised, that's actually a movie from India, and it's not in English. But yet, it brought in a four-day total of 1.2 million at, at uh, let's see, over 400 theaters, and that was enough for it to land the number 10 spot. So, speaking of theaters, it looks like Cinemark is, like AMC and others, looking at dynamic pricing, but they're also very much open to having Netflix movies shown in their theaters. Cinemark CEO Sean Gamble said that he continues to see increased increased interest among consumers and they're going to continue to experiment with dynamic pricing which unfortunately i wouldn't mind dynamic pricing if it was lowering the price for movies that you might not otherwise see instead of simply raising prices for the popular movies and then leaving the ticket prices where they are for the others but he does note that uh, there's been a broader return to films outside of just the blockbusters stating that dog 
and Everything Everywhere All at Once has done really well, saying that it's performing at, quote-unquote, significant levels. That's very descriptive. But during the pandemic, when it was really going bad, I mean, we're still in the pandemic for crying out loud. One of the offices for the, the place where I work has already said, yeah, we're going back to masks and distancing because the outbreak is back. That's that's just lovely. But regardless, you know, when the pandemic was at its height, Cinemark was also experimenting with having Netflix movies in the theaters and now says that there is a quote unquote real opportunity for Netflix to work with work, work with exhibitors due to well, Netflix is getting increased numbers for feature films and there's a lot of competition in the streaming space. Well, I'm still, and for those of you who are new to to uh, my little train of thought, I'm still very much pro theater. You know, I understand the convenience of watching it at home, but to me, it it's just different when you're in the theater and the lights go down and you've got your big ass tub of, well, I would say delicious popcorn. That depends on the theater chain. I do like AMC's popcorn. Really don't like Regal's. Not a fan of Regal's. But I mean, that that that's neither here nor there. So now we've got dynamic pricing, possibly Netflix movies coming into theaters. Who knows? I mean, other Apple and, and Amazon, they'd probably benefit from having some of their stuff shown theatrically as well. You never know. But maybe, maybe, and this is a real long shot, uh, we might be getting 3D to be a little bit more prevalent back in movie theaters again. Obviously, I doubt it will ever get back to the heyday that it was 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe not 10, but less than that, I suppose. But Avatar 2 is coming out, and you've got a combination of the movie being filmed in a native 3D format. Uh, James Cameron treats 3D as a part of the movie and not like an overlay to try to make you have a wow factor to it. But a lot of theaters have been upgrading their projectors as well, and fatigue from theaters being cheap was a big factor in 3D failing before, Uh, or, or at least... No, no, I put that as a factor. I will definitely put that as a factor. So John Landau, who was uh, James Cameron's producing partner, said that we believe 3D creates a more immersive experience in our narrative storytelling. We don't play 3D as a world coming out of a window. We play it as a window into the world. We are giving people something that they cannot get anywhere else. We need the exhibition community to be supportive of that and to understand that we are competing with different technologies than are in people's homes. So right there, he's calling out the movie theater saying, hey, don't screw this up on us again. And I don't blame him. I mean, Avatar had a a big push because, again, it was filmed natively in 3D, which very few films are anymore. They usually stick with conversion. But when Avatar first came up, its 3D box office share was over 70%. So less than 30% of Avatar's box office revenue was from 2D showings. You know, but then you got crap like 2010's Clash of the Titans, which looked like cardboard cutouts because it was a, r- a crappy rush job for conversion. So Landau continued that, uh, I think what happened is that some people got lost, and there's a period of time where people felt that converting something to 3D made it a better movie. I will always argue that is not the case. I'm sorry, I love Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy in 3D would not necessarily make the movie any better. So uh, 3D does not change the movie. 3D exacerbates whatever the movie is. I think that people were doing it as an afterthought to a process as opposed to a creative element. Uh, No different than lighting, no different than focus, no different than camera movement. uh, That a filmmaker needs to bring a sensibility of how to use that to enhance the, the narrative storytelling. And in a statement from a top studio executive who, of course, did not 
wish to be identified. Uh, Hollywood got greedy like they always do. Mm-hmm. I've made that argument many, many times. Hollywood got greedy, the theaters got cheap, and the TV vendors decided to try to go and get a whole bunch of money from the uh, bleeding-edge people, which of course meant that they didn't sell as many TVs to the not-bleeding-edge people, and TVs last, what, 5, 10, 15 years? It's not like people are buying new TVs every year like they are with freaking $1,000 phones. So yeah, yeah, Hollywood, uh, the the studios, and the theaters, they all got greedy. But apparently Disney is at least trying to keep 3D going. Uh, Avatar 2 is going to be coming out later this year. Lightyear is going to be available in 3D, theatrically anyway. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion is going to be getting a major 3D push. And keep in mind, too, even though it's not all that popular here anymore, it's still popular in other parts of the world. I mean, I just mentioned earlier in the podcast how I bought the Spider-Man Blu-ray, the latest Spider-Man Blu-ray from Australia. The last three major Marvel movies, uh, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and shoot, I can't remember the other one. Uh, they're, they're available on 3D Blu-ray in Japan if you're willing to pay the ridiculous price for them. But with respect to Doctor Strange 2, in Brazil, on its opening weekend, 45% of the revenue was in the 3D version, and in Germany, it was 50%. So it's still there. People still want it. And I, I honestly think people would still take it at home, but there are still issues with that. Even in the privacy of one's own home, people keep calling them goofy glasses. Well, no one gives a... Ch mm, almost said it. This is not your stream, John. Nobody cares what you look like inside your own home. And you're not supposed to be looking at each other when you're wearing the glasses. You're supposed to be looking at the TV screen. So who cares if they're goofy or not? But again, uh, one source who obviously did not want to be identified because, heaven forbid, uh, said that ho every Hollywood studio needs to do its part if the 3D revival is to work. And that's true. Uh, when Avatar first came out, they had different versions of the movie regarding like uh, different brightness levels, depending on the 3D format or 2D format, uh, different aspect ratios. I don't know how much I agree with that, but... Yes, I mean, IMAX is boxy. Most other movie theaters are at least 1.85 to 1. You know, but again, at least now... See, but for those of you who don't know, one of the reasons why I blame the failure of 3D on the theaters is because most theaters at the time, I don't know if it's still the case, I don't think it's as many as it was before, they would use these xenon bulbs. Xenon bulbs are very expensive, and the harder you push them, the sooner they burn out. So while James Cameron and Peter Jackson and all of these film directors who were pro 3D are saying, look, you guys have to bump up the brightness to a specific level, the theaters were like, we're not going to do that because that means we're going to have to buy bulbs more often. So they would project the movie at the same brightness as they would a regular 2D movie and suddenly people are getting headaches and they think it's because of 3D when I would argue it's actually because of the presentation of that 3D. But since then... A lot of theaters have upgraded to laser projectors, which operate significantly brighter, and they don't have xenon bulbs behind them that, to burn out that much faster. I mean, they're using lasers. <laughs> Plus, James Cameron is not using a standard 24 frames per second. He's actually bumped it up to 48 frames per second. Now, granted, get ready. That means that the soap opera effect might kick in a little bit. But not necessarily as badly as it did with The Hobbit, which was done at 60 frames per second. So who knows, maybe, maybe 3D will come back. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. 
But I, I know that James Cameron was working with Dolby to try to come up with a glasses-free 3D solution for the home that supposedly would work from pretty much any angle, and it was a bright TV and so forth. Now, whether we'll actually see that come to the home, who knows. But until then, I am keeping my Sony Bravia 3D TV until it dies, which hopefully won't be anytime soon. Now, as long as we're talking about 3D and we're talking about Avatar and so forth, they have released an official teaser trailer for Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, obviously, it's a teaser, so it doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to even play anything here on an audio-only podcast. Therefore, I will have a link in the show notes if you wish to go see it. And if you don't, fine, whatever, I'm not your dad. <laughs> not, not, not that I'm aware of. Okay, there has been concern, and I have voiced this concern as well. Uh, what's going to happen with the third Deadpool movie since Fox is now owned by the Big Mouse? And of course, the Mouse House is notorious for their censorship uh, of anything that might possibly be naughty. You know, we must think of the children. You know, like giving mermaids furry butts because reasons. Well, supposedly, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who have so far been writing all three of the Deadpool movies, have said that as right now, Deadpool is going to be Deadpool. Nothing to worry about. Mm, yeah, we'll see. He said uh, they've been very supportive with regard to that, meaning the, you know, whether or not they're going to try to force Deadpool to be family friendly. Uh, now, when it comes to a particular joke, if we cross the line, maybe we'll hear at some point, maybe not that joke. But I think they've been incredibly supportive of what we've been doing, uh, because obviously we're doing it separate from them for a long time, and I think they've seen the success, and they've had their own even greater success. I'm not sure how that's even relevant, but all right. So hopefully it'll be a marriage made in heaven, but we've definitely got their support, and that's a great thing to feel. Yeah, well, the problem is... A lot of times, the studio gets the final say on the edits. Rarely do the directors have the final say. And regardless of whether or not Disney thinks that, you know, Deadpool should remain as Deadpool, and they probably don't think that, unless we have actual confirmation that director Sean Levy is going to have the final say in what the cut is, I'm not keeping my hopes up. Disney has a very, very long history of censoring things that are innocuous to most of us oh cleavage on a woman car you know in a cartoon from 1950s oh no cigarettes and cigars oh you know we must think about the children so yeah thanks for that reese but um i'm i'll i'll believe it when i see it your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over This is our chance to control the truth, the concepts of right and wrong for everyone for centuries to come. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. Never did. You need to pick a side. And that's about all you're going to get on that one, because that is uh, the only spoken dialogue of the teaser trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Not going to lie, it looks like it's going to completely kick ass. Although that, that idea about controlling the truth for centuries, sorry guys, I've been playing Assassin's Creed for a long time, and that, that storyline is straight out of Assassin's Creed. So, I guess it's Mission Impossible versus the Templars? That's what it's, Tom Cruise versus the Templars. That should be the name of the movie. Anyway... If you want to see the teaser, you know, show notes, because that, that's what I do. 
Now, you know, well, th- well, those who are longtime listeners know I try not to talk about politics unless they, you know, concern things like, you know, public health, uh, as public health also affects our movie-going experience, you know? And I only say that because in the past I've actually lost listeners who have, uh, they don't appreciate the fact that I'm pro-vaccination. Uh, so, well, bye. So long. You know, I won't miss you. But you know, this is also not an airport. You don't need to announce your departure. But when it comes to politics and law, I try to keep it down to our our ability to enjoy movies. So copyright is a huge one. Things of that nature. And one of the things that I have griped about for a long time, and a lot of people who who deal with movies and so forth have, have dealt with this, is the fact that Disney has totally screwed over copyright in their favor multiple times in the past several decades. Not the, you know, the latest of which mostly is uh, the Copyright Term Extension Act of 1998, also known as the Sonny Bono Copyright Act, because, you know, Son- Sonny Bono of Sonny and Cher, uh, he was a big proponent of this bill. He, of course, was a Disney, you know, because he's in the industry. He was he was an entertainer. So he, of course, is in Disney's back pocket or was in Disney's pack, back pocket on that one. And that was the whole thing about life of the creator plus 75 years. This was a ridiculous extension. It was meant specifically so that Disney does not lose rights to Steamboat Willie, you know, preventing Steamboat Willie from entering the public domain, which really doesn't mean much because Disney can still hold it as a trademark. But regardless, it is possible, although unlikely, that Disney and many other companies will lose their copyright extension, basically nullifying that copyright law of 1998. The reasons for it, sucks and i completely disagree with it but the fact of the matter is that this is a bill that is going through and who knows what's going to happen but unfortunately the political right have this tendency of thinking that anything that acknowledges you know other human beings is defined as woke basically if you if you support minorities if you support lgbt uh, qia folks basically if you support people who are not white christians then you are woke, and you're trying to push a woke agenda. Well, because of various political things that are going on in Florida, Disney has been classified as a woke corporation. So one of the Republican nutcases in Congress, Josh Hawley, has proposed legislation that limits copyright protection to 56 years, but the thing is, it would apply retroactively to existing copyrights. So this whole thing started when uh, Disney pushed for the repeal of a law called the Parental Rights and Education Law, which bars discussion of gender identity or sexual orientation in grades K through 3. You can argue anything about whether or not that is a viable part. But it also allows parents to sue school districts if they think there's been a violation. I've got so many things to say about the idiocy of that law, but I'm not going to go over it here. So, Holly's mention uh, in this bill of special copyright protections refers specifically to Disney's role in influencing copyright law in the, you know, aforementioned statement about the, the 1998 uh, copyright law that went through. Uh, so, Mickey Mouse was first introduced with Steamboat Willie, which is 1928. And at that time, Disney was given 56 years of protection for the character. So, the copyright was set to expire in 1984, which Disney, of course, lobbied... For the Copyright Act of 1976, which extended that from 56 years to 75 years, well, then in 1998, Disney decided to push once again, because they were once again going to lose uh, Mickey to the public domain, even though he's trademarked by them all over the place. 
So now Steamboat Willie's copyright is set to expire in 2024. So what this bill will do if it goes through is it will strip away pretty much 40 plus years of copyright extension. So anything that should have gone into the public domain since 1978, I'm sorry, 1984, damn it, will go into the public domain. And as it stands right now, several Republican lawmakers have said that they will not support an extension of copyright protections for Disney if a bill is introduced. Now, again, what does this necessarily mean? Uh, You know, Mickey Mouse, even if he hits the public domain, he's covered under several of their trademarks. So it's not like people can simply use Mickey Mouse to sell products. They can't. Plus, there have been several different iterations of Mickey. Each different iteration has its own copyright protection. So, for example, as it stands right now, Mickey as the sorcerer from Fantasia, that iteration of Mickey doesn't expire under current law until 2036. I mean, I, I am totally for what this law is about. I'm totally against why this law came to be. I mean, the whole intention of copyright was for creators to have a limited amount of time under which they are guaranteed their own exclusive rights to that work. Well, if you didn't want to lose exclusive rights to your works, you kept making new works. That was the idea. That's the idea. Copyright was meant to make creators keep creating because there was always the possibility of that deadline down the road. So you create something new, which would then be protected under copyright so that you could still have some kind of exclusivity over your work, even when your original works potentially expire. And unfortunately, in the 20th century, especially the latter half, everybody, musicians, authors, you know, everybody who, who makes some kind of creative work have decided, well, no, I should be allowed to make money from my works for the rest of my life, which is not what copyright is about. So here we are. Here we are. We're, we're stuck with what we've got. So, I mean, and part of me, I don't want to give them this as a victory, but I would not mind seeing copyright extensions rolled back. In fact, what that also could mean is that things like movies that are sitting in vaults that studios own but refuse to release, if those movies then enter the public domain, then you know people who love those movies and archivists and, and people who do restoration would be they'd have the rights to go and, and you know work with the original prints in one way or another to release those movies or TV shows you know one way or the other. Well, okay, I guess 1980s there wouldn't have been any TV shows. But still, there, there are lots of content out there that are being held as intellectual property from studios, movie studios, record labels, and so forth, that they're just not doing anything with, letting rot in vaults. Hell yeah, get that stuff into the public domain so that archivists and, and historians and so forth can get access to them and do whatever they need to with it. Well, regardless, I don't expect this bill to go anywhere. But should it progress or die horribly, then I will, of course, let you know. Something here for horror fans. Well, hopefully, anyway. Uh, 20th Century Studios is currently in development on The First Omen, which is a prequel to the original 1976 movie, The Omen. This will be the feature film debut of uh, Arkasha Stevenson as director. So the original movie, obviously, it's, it's, it's a classic. You know, even those of us who don't like horror movies know about The Omen and know several scenes from The Omen. Starred Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, and Harvey Stevens. Uh, follows an American ambassador who believes his five-year-old son is the Antichrist. Well, <laughs> believes? <laughs> Turns out. Surprise! Spoiler alert. So it then spawned two sequels, Damien Omen 2 and The Final Conflict in 1981, and got a reboot back in 2006. So now there's a prequel coming, and there is absolutely no information because it's simply in development now. 
And of course, I will let you know. And of course, what would this podcast be without sequel information? Prequel is one thing, but you gotta have sequels because, God forbid, Hollywood try to come up with new intellectual properties. Uh, filmmaker Jonathan Levine has been set to direct the sequel to Dirty Dancing. Yep, not kidding, not kidding. In the sequel, Jennifer Grey will reprise her role as Frances Baby Houseman as she returns to Kellerman's in the 1990s. Like the sequel, or sorry, like the original, the sequel will be a coming-of-age romance centered on the experience of a young woman at the summer camp, but Baby's own journey will intertwine with this to create a multi-layered narrative. They're still working on casting. The movie is expected to go into production later this year for a 2024 release. Apparently, they are working on bringing back as much of the original cast as possible. Obviously, Jerry Orbach and Patrick Swayze will not be able to return for, you know, obvious reasons. But they're very adamant that they're going to be respectful of the original movie, uh, saying the most important thing for us was having Jennifer on board. She is an invaluable collaborator. We're going to try to involve as many people from the original as is appropriate. We want to be respectful in every way. And to the longtime fans, I promise we will not ruin your childhood. We will tackle the assignment with sophistication, ambition, and above all, love. So, we move on to the next sequel. Godzilla vs. Kong is getting a new sequel. As opposed to an old sequel? John, I'm getting tired. Does it show? Anyway, uh, Adam Wingard, who directed the first movie, is returning to direct. Production is slated to begin this summer in Australia. Obviously, they're not saying anything about the plot, other than saying that the film's larger-than-life monsters are preparing to do their next battle against each other. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. That, that's great information. Uh, I mean, honestly, a sequel is not surprising. Godzilla vs. Kong brought in $480 million globally, which, I mean, that's an impressive number, especially when you consider that it was day and date on HBO Max and theatrical, and it still brought in $486 million globally. So there's, there's really no surprise there. Uh, also in the sequel category, Law Abiding Citizen, which grossed $130 million when it came out, that's getting a sequel. Gerard Butler will be starring and producing in this, uh, as well as original producer Lucas Foster and original screenwriter Kurt Wimmer are returning for the sequel. And of course, this is just announced, so there's nothing on the storyline. So if the first movie doesn't sound familiar, it uh, starred Jamie, Jamie Foxx as well as Gerard Butler and followed assistant district attorney Nick Rice's pursuit of Clyde Shelton, which is Butler's character. A frustrated father who implements an elaborate and twisted plan to bring down the entire judicial system in Philadelphia after a plea bargain sets free the man who murdered his wife and daughter. It is kind of interesting that they're taking this long to do it because Law Abiding Citizen came out in 2009. So why they're doing a sequel 13 years later, I, who knows. I mean, it made $127 million on a $50 million budget, so technically break even? But I guess now that... You know, the proof that the theater has survived and, and COVID has not pushed everybody to streaming. I guess they feel optimistic on a, you know, a, a an existing action thriller coming back into theaters. Well, you know, then again, considering <laughs> considering Mission Impossible is up to eight or nine or whatever the number is now, and Fast and Furious is going on to number ten, uh, can we really be surprised by this? And as long as we're talking about sequels... Kids, get the popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. 
After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. When he got in shape, he went from dead bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? Ex-girlfriend. What's it been like? Three, four years? <laughs> Eight years, seven months, and six days. Give or take. My uh, sensing feelings. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> the only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. All gods will die. Kind of obvious what that is. The, uh, the latest trailer for Thor Love and Thunder, due out July 8th. Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Christian Bale, Taika Waititi, Russell Crowe, Tessa Thompson, and others. If I need to describe anything more about that one, you, you haven't really been paying attention, have you? Anyone who is afraid of the Toxic Avenger reboot getting maybe an, you know, an easier PG-13 rating and so forth, uh, they can breathe easily. The Toxic Avenger remake has been given an R rating by the MPAA for strong violence and gore, language throughout, sexual references, and brief graphic nudity. Only in puritanical America will nudity be considered to be graphic. Now, the concern about PG-13 is because when... The first effort to reboot this uh, back in 2010 occurred. Producers announced that they were going to be making a family-friendly PG-13 action comedy. Well, clearly, they've reneged on that one, so it gets to join the, the... I mean, granted, the first one back in 1984 was rated R. But now when it comes to the modern superhero movies, it gets to join Logan, the Suicide Squad, Deadpool, and so forth. Starring Peter Dinklage as the Toxic Avenger, also starring Elijah Wood, Julia Davis, Taylor Page, Kevin Bacon, and Jason Tremblay. Coming to theaters... Sometime this year. They haven't given a date yet. But when I know, you will. Unfortunately, we have had a number of notable deaths since the last podcast. Ray Liotta, star of Goodfellas and Field of Dreams, has died. He died in his sleep in the Dominican Republic where he was shooting the film Dangerous Waters. Now, he's been in quite a number of movies. Uh, the Many Saints of Newark, Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move, Elizabeth Banks' Cocaine Bear, Unforgettable, Copland... Unlawful Entry, Hannibal, Netflix's Marriage Story, which got six Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, uh, like I said, The Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. But the two roles that he's probably going to be most known for uh, are his original co-starring in Field of Dreams, and of course the Martin Scorsese crime classic Goodfellas, where the his, his laugh at that uh, dinner table ended up becoming pretty much a meme on the internet as well. No cause of death has been mentioned, or or has it been released since this. Uh, Ray Liotta was 67. Fred Ward, who has also a very long list of movies that he was in, has also died. He's appeared in movies like Silkwood, Thunderheart, Henry and June, which is the first NC-17 film to play in theaters, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, Swing Shift, uh, Road Trip, Sweet Home Alabama. He's been in a number of movies. But he's probably known best for The Right Stuff, Tremors, and the cult classic Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Cause and place of death were not disclosed by the family. 
Fred Ward was 79. And finally, someone who I'm sure none of us actually knew by name, but was very influential in pop culture and movie history. Colin Cantwell, the concept artist who designed uh, the X-Wing fighter, the TIE fighter, and the Death Star as obviously part of the Star Wars franchise, has died at his Colorado home. And he was also known for, for many other things. His, his film credits also include special photographic effects for 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, technical dialogue for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and he was also the computer graphics design consultant for War Games. But obviously, he is going to be mostly known for his work in Star Wars with the X-Wing, the TIE Fighter, the Star Destroyer, Death Star, and so forth. But before he did all that, he was also working to try to educate the public about what was going on during the space race of the 1960s. Uh, he worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and NASA, creating educational programs for the public to better understand what the space race and the various rocket flights were all about. Apparently, he also had a very big impact on the introduction to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, he says that, I worked closely with Stanley Kubrick and persuaded him not to start the movie with a 20-minute conference table discussion. And it ended up being Cantwell who created the dramatic space opening regarding the dawn of man and the bone being thrown up into the air. With respect to war games, uh, he programmed the Hewlett-Packard monitors that were used to depict the dramatic bomb scenes uh, on the NORAD screens, uh, and that also led him to programming software that took the actual Hewlett-Packard from a few colors to 5,000 colors. So he also basically did computer engineering. But even though we all can have an appreciation of those things, let's face it, his X-Wing fighter designs, TIE fighter designs, Star Destroyer, and Death Star... Those are probably the things that we're going to remember the most. Colin Cantwell was 90. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say... But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So, what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, I uh, don't know what to make of this. This looks like a very interesting take on the whole, uh, you know, Aladdin and the Three Wishes and so forth. Uh, this is from the mind of George Miller. The movie is called 3,000 Years of Longing, starring Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. And, I mean, well, it's, 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 it's from George Miller. What else do I need to say? <laughs> But it looks absolutely bonkers, and and I'm, I'm kind of here for it. So the movie got its premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, and it is currently scheduled for a release of August 31st only in theaters. And if you want to see how absolutely off the wall the trailer is, you know where to go. And more news from Cannes Film Festival! <laughs> well, Castle Rock Entertainment is now back. It was one of those... Stories where, you know, the, the studio folded, uh, the IP was brought, was bought out by another studio, and, and all of that. Well, now it's back, and they've set their first project out the gate as Spinal Tap 2. Yep, another sequel, of course. 
Of course, you know, now we're talking 40 years past the original. The original Spinal Tap came out in 1984. Yes, Rob Reiner is going to be back to direct the sequel. Also back are Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, and Christopher Guest. So according to Rob Reiner, uh, the plan is to do a sequel that comes out on the 40th anniversary of the original film, and I can tell you hardly a day goes by without somebody saying, why don't you do another one? So for many years we said, nah. It wasn't until we came up with the right idea how to do this. You don't just want to do it to do it. You want to honor the first one and push it a little further with the story. So Rob Reiner did say that he's back in the movie as the director who was filming them during the movie. If you've seen the movie, you understand. He says that the band was upset with the first film. They thought I did a hatchet job, and this is a chance to redeem myself. I'm such a big fan, and I felt bad they didn't like what they saw in the first film. When I heard they might get back together, I was visiting uh, a junk teacher's helper at the Ed Wood School of Cinematic Arts. I dropped everything to document this final concert. So a little bit of a plot, and seeing as how they're talking about the 40th anniversary, you're going to have to wait until March 19th of 2024 for this one to be released. Not sure where this is going to go, but Rust producers Alec Baldwin and Anjul Nigam, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's one thing you'll, if you're new to this podcast, I'm just like I say when I stream on Twitch, I mispronounce things. You know what? Stuff happens. I will mispronounce things. I will get things wrong. Deal with it. <laughs> deal with it <laughs> anyway they were at the Cannes Film Festival in order to launch a new production banner uh, seven months after Baldwin accidentally shot and killed Helena Hutchins on the set of the Rust uh, movie and they still believe that distributors will be receptive to the project despite the things that happened and they're saying that after the Santa Fe investigation concludes the producers will be finishing filming Rust saying that we're confident we'll be able to complete the movie Obviously, they continue to face a lot of lawsuits regarding that. Uh, in February, Hutchins' family filed a wrongful death lawsuit, alleging reckless behavior and cost-cutting led to the shooting. Uh, producers have argued that the case should be thrown up because it involves a workplace accident, which should be handled through the state workers' compensation system. So, who knows what's going to happen. They are confident that Rust is going to go through. I guess it all comes down to whether or not distributors think it's, uh, it's you know, poisonous or not. And in something from Ken that I never thought I'd be saying, I can't believe I'm, I'm, as a gamer, there have been a lot of attempts to convert video games to movies, many of which were unsuccessful. Uh, a good portion of those that were unsuccessful were done by a German director named Uwe Ball, who simply made movies to take advantage of German tax, uh, credits or, or situation, whatever, how, whatever the tax situation is over in Germany, he made real utter crap movies. But yet the guy thinks that he's an auteur, you know, and it's, no, no, his movies are utter sh I can't say it. <laughs> I want to. You know what I'm trying to say. Apparently he is coming back to the director's chair uh, with a $25 million movie based on crime fighter Elliot Ness. Uh, who was the special agent who famously took down Al Capone. So apparently this movie, simply called Ness, will pick up the story later in his career as he tries to catch a serial killer known as the Butcher of Kingsbury Run, who is responsible for a number of grisly murders in Cleveland's Kingsbury Run shantytown. Now apparently this is actually based on a true-life case. Ball, Ball plans to direct and produce, 
and he said he's currently casting the film and plans to begin principal photography in 2023. Oh, golly. I just can't wait. And I love how he justifies it. He says, hey, I'm a real filmmaker. I've made 34 movies, many with big stars. That can no longer be denied. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, fine. But, I mean, quite frankly, House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain, and Postal are are not even worth mentioning as video game movies. Uh, whatever. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what else is going on? Universal has moved The Last Voyage of the Demeter to, to summer 2023. Uh, it was supposed to be in January. It's now moving to August. Uh, the movie is based on the single chilling chapter from Bram Stoker's Dracula which tells the terrifying story of the merchant ship Demeter, which was carried, uh, which was chartered to carry private cargo, 50 unmarked wooden crates from Carpathia to London. Strange events befall the doomed crew as they attempt to survive the ocean voyage, stalked each night by a merciless presence on board the ship. When the Demeter finally arrives off the shores of England, it is a charred, derelict wreck. There is no trace of the crew. Okay, I mean, they're basing a movie off a single chapter of a book. <laughs> Sounds like what Peter Jackson tried to do with The Hobbit. Put this one under the rumor category, but apparently the Wonder Twins movie has been shut down completely. It was supposed to have begun production in early July, uh, and it was actually meant to be an HBO Max movie, but sources say the decision to shut it down occurred several weeks ago uh, because the leadership of Warner Brothers... Discovery, yeah, Warner Brothers Discovery, which is the new company, uh, decided that DC movies should now be made with a theatrical first goal, and they said that Wonder Twins was too niche. So one source said that the budget was too high for what's considered an HBO Max movie, looking at a $75 million budget, but concluded that this as a higher budget offering and being too niche did not have enough value to warrant a theatrical release. Honestly, I think that's kind of dumb. I mean, when when they first announced Shazam, all I could think of was the TV show from the 70s, and I was like, duh, really? They're going to turn that into a movie? And look at what happened. The movie brought in $366 million worldwide. You know, what do I know? But still, I mean, it just proves that you can take something that might be considered niche, and as long as it's got the right story and the right actors and the right director, it can make money. Wonder Twins might have been able to as well. But I suppose now the world may never know. Almost there. Almost there. Uh, Star Wars Celebration recently took place, and it's been announced that Indiana Jones 5 will hit theaters on June 30th, 2023. According to Harrison Ford, the, the uh, film is almost done and will feature the music of John Williams. Williams even joined the event to conduct the live orchestra uh, in, with the Indiana Jones theme before Ford was introduced. So James Mangold is directing, uh, Steven Spielberg was originally going to, but he's now producing. No plot details have been revealed, and none were mentioned at uh, Star Wars Celebration. Uh, Indy 5 was supposed to be released on July 10th of 2020, uh, and then later July 29th of this year, but because of pandemic delays and Spielberg working on West Side Story, production got sidelined. And now we're looking at June 30th of 2023. They did release a teaser shot, you know, a poster, whatever you want to call it, and it's simply Indiana Jones in a cave with a flashlight walking over a bridge. He's in silhouette, some lighting come up from... It, it's not a big deal. But hey, if you want to look at it, link's in the show notes. 
There are a few video game related announcements. Uh, no, this one is not movie based. I don't care because I love this game franchise. Uh, the Horizon Zero Dawn series, which is it, it's such a good game. Uh, it is in early development at Netflix. I mean, if you're not into open world games, then Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West are not for you. But I love those games. I've played the crap out of them. The storyline for Horizon Zero Dawn completely blew me away. So, I mean, if they can stick with the main storyline for this, I'm, I'm so on this. Uh, Sony also announced that Gran Turismo, their racing series, has not landed a distribu distributor yet, but that is also in early development. Gran Turismo is a racing game, so you can probably expect it to be you know, along the same kind of lines as you know, Fast and Furious or, or that sort of thing. Sony also announced that God of War, which was first announced in March as being shopped around to Amazon, has indeed been picked up by Amazon, so there will now be a God of War series. Well, at least they're going all over the place. You want to see Horizon Zero Dawn, you got to have Netflix. You want to see God of War, you have to have Amazon. And finally, they also announced that a Ghost of Tsushima feature film is in the works with John Wick director Chad Stahelski. I'm not quite sure why this is being announced again, because I announced this back in April of last year. I don't know, maybe they just mentioned it here as, you know, saying, well, you know, let's not forget that it's happening, but they're making it seem as though... This was just announced by Sony. It's like, no, no, this was announced a year ago. But that's also an amazing game. I got that one, every single trophy, platinumed that one. Fantastic game. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm looking forward to the God of War one. Maybe. I haven't played the game. I actually played God of War uh, when I had my PlayStation 3. My wife got it for me because I thought, you know, that game looks actually kind of cool. You know, it looks like a decent game. And then I realized it was a combo masher. And I hate combo mashers. Uh, if you don't know what a combo masher is, it's the kind of game where, oh, well, to attack this enemy, you have to hit these three buttons in order. To attack this enemy, you have to hit these buttons in order. To, to attack this enemy, you have to hit these buttons in order. Combos. Yeah, so you had to have these combos. You had to memorize the combos for the particular kind of enemies to do the max, you know, maximum amount of damage to that enemy. And then they do crap like send multiple different enemies at you at once. So now you've got multiple enemies with multiple different combos that you have to memorize. I just said, that's it. I'm done. I played a little bit of it, and I was like, this is actually not what I expected at all. So I gave up on it. Uh, apparently the new one, the new God of War, is just a, pretty much a straight-up third-person RPG. Maybe I'll play it. Maybe I won't. Free time. What is it? I don't know. But, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West, Ghost of Tsushima. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I will make time for those games. And finally, I mentioned back in, what was it, March of 2021, that uh, there was a YouTuber who put Tenet onto Game Boy Advance. Why? Oh, purely a spiteful move. See, Tenet director Christopher Nolan went on this big tirade about how Tenet is meant to be seen only in theaters. All of Christopher Nolan should really be seen in theaters. They're not meant for small screens. They're meant for big screens. And I mean, that's fine. That's his right. But it irked some people. And so someone decided to put Tenet onto a bunch of Game Boy Advanced video cartridges. So he compressed the entire uh, two and a half hour movie into <laughs> Game Boy Advanced displays and cartridges of two. Uh, sorry. Yeah. The resolution is 240 by 160 at six frames per second. Why? Purely out of spite. 
And of course, I mean, the, you've got the, the geek and nerd mantra, because I can. Well, someone decided to go an extra mile. <laughs> so th there's this new, it's a small handheld console, and it's unlike any that you've ever seen, I'm sure. It's called the Playdate. And the, the thing about the Playdate is that it's only got a few buttons to it, but it actually has a crank. Yes, a handle that you crank on the right side of the console so that you, you I mean, the crank is part of, you know, the games that are designed for it, so you can move things forward and backward and, and things of that nature. So it's got a resolution of 400 by 240 uh, on a small 2.7-inch screen. The screen's not even backlit, and it's a black-and-white screen. So... <laughs> a Twitter user named Jay, uh, with the handle of JKAP, decided to load a copy of Tenet onto the play date. Because, why not? I mean, I guess that's a meme now. Let's take the, the most ridiculous device possible that's not a movie theater screen, and let's throw Tenet on it. And of course, because of the hand crank, you use the crank to fast forward and rewind the film. And of course, in keeping up with the meme, the tweet says, Finally getting around to watching Tenet the way Chris Nolan intended. What an incredible film. And it's him watching a set of scenes on the play date and rewinding and fast forwarding by using the crank. And it has to be seen to be believed. I wouldn't call this the Streisand effect. It doesn't really fit the definition of the Streisand effect, but... Still, I mean, it, it, it's, it's very much meme-worthy and definitely worth a look. And that's it. We're done. It is now June, unfortunately. Hey, anyone who might be new to the podcast, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, as I said, I hope your insomnia is now cured. Of course, if your insomnia is cured, you're asleep now, so you wouldn't hear me saying this. But still, 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 the intent is there. This is not a professional podcast. This is not anything that's ever going to earn me any money. But I've been doing it for 15 years. I enjoy doing it. So, you know, I'll keep doing it. Questions, comments, complaints if you must. Podcast at widescreen.org. You can always follow me on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, widescreenjohn. And maybe someday I'll get my ass in gear and I'll start getting these podcasts out more regularly like I used to. Well, I don't know. Did I ever get them out regularly? Well, yeah. I mean, I tried to get them out every 10 days before. But, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Again, free time. What is it? I don't know. If anybody can find it, let me know. You know, the people would say there are three things that occur at any point in life time money and energy but at any point in your life you can only pick two and i guess right now all i've got is energy <laughs> so anyway everyone have a good day i will do my best to get a podcast out before the july 4th weekend and maybe i'll even have time to get my ass to a movie theater because I, I do want to see top gun anyway everyone have a good day. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And toodles. I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool hears me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real. Keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight and there ain't. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe, my heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe tomorrow
is a better day. This podcast is copyright 2022 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The Widescreen Podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberrynoease.com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. And of course, their new album. They just came out with a new album. They did. They did. I've got it. And it's good. This has been a widescreen.org production. Maybe someday someone will convert my podcast over to playdate format. That's when I know I'll have hit the big time. Maybe. <laughs>